This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Right now, there's some interesting research about a, a commonly used disciplinary tool. You put your kid on a timeout. Your kid's done something wrong. Your kid's losing as you know what. That kid needs a timeout. So timeouts are seen as an effective way of, of dealing with behavior and, you know, trying to send a message, I suppose, to the child. So the child recognizes that, okay, I, I shouldn't have done what I did. That's the idea. However, this new research suggests that it's important to make sure you get it right. And if you're doing a time of the wrong way, you basically lose whatever effectiveness there is. Looking at some of what they call the classic mistakes of a timeout. Joining us on the line, one of the authors of this report, Dr. Andrew Riley is a pediatric psychologist at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland. Uh, Dr. Riley, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, let's talk about, first of all, the, the timeout. If done correctly, is it an effective disciplinary tool? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have uh, several decades of research on timeout that when done in in certain kinds of ways under certain conditions um, can be quite effective. Absolutely. And and effective meaning that the the behavior that earned it should happen less over time. Right. So why is it effective then? Yeah, so, so really the heart of timeout is that, you know, when a child misbehaves, that they go from kind of their normal environment, from an environment that's interesting and stimulating um, to one that's not, to one that's boring. Um, so it's, it's not meant to be a bad thing, but it's really meant to be the absence of, of good things. And uh, it's that absence, that change, that drives the change in behavior. All right. So the child understands what's happened here. Uh, the child is clearly not enjoying the timeout. Uh, so there's that yeah. punishment aspect to it and reinforces the, the message the parent's trying to get across. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, understanding is a little bit of a tricky word there um, in the sense that it, it maybe doesn't require the child to, you know, be able to tell you, okay, here was the sequence of events or here's here's why this happened. But it has the effect on their behavior of, of reducing that behavior in the future. All right. Well, and I guess the point of this research is to to suggest that well, not all timeouts are created equally, right. essentially. That, that there are some, some mistakes that parents can and do make that might take away from that effectiveness. Right, yeah. Yeah, so this really came from our, our experience as clinicians is talking to parents about timeout is you, people have very different ideas about what that means. And um, when, when parents are telling us that timeout isn't working, there's usually some pretty reliable things um, that are kind of suboptimal that we can help make better to make it more effective. So what are those mistakes? Yeah, so um, I, I would say the biggest one is, is just parents tend to do too much talking. Um, so that might mean that they're giving um, too many warnings before giving a timeout, which, which will make it less effective. We really want to stick to just one warning. Um, and then very commonly, parents are kind of talking to their child during the timeout period. And um, the thing with that is kids, for the most part, find their parents very interesting. And so if you're talking to them, uh, that's too stimulating, too interesting, and, and the timeout's not going to function in the way that you want it to. So essentially, it's it's not a timeout. If the child right. has a distraction, if the child's yeah. sitting there watching a video on on the phone, you know, on the, uh, on yeah. the parent's yeah. phone or playing with yeah. a toy, it's not really a timeout. Right, right. Yeah, I think what's happened is is that that term timeout 
in our general culture has come to mean a lot of different things. It doesn't have a very much precision, um, and, and different people will talk about it in different ways. In, in the sort of behavioral science world, it has a very specific meaning. Um, so parents might be thinking about that as, for instance, a way to give their kid a break or um, a way to try to explain to them or make them understand why what they did was wrong. Um, and it's not necessarily that there's anything wrong with those things. It's just those aren't timeout. What about warnings? There's something you talk about in the report. Should, should a timeout just happen? Does it lose its effectiveness if a parent's saying, okay, careful, or you're going to get a timeout? Yeah. What, what we know about that is that warnings don't necessarily make things any more effective. Um, but what they can do for you as a parent is have saved you from having to go through with the timeout sometimes. So let's say you're, if you know if your child is not listening and you say, hey, you need to do what I say or you will get a timeout, chances are they might go ahead and do what you're asking then as, as opposed to having to go through the timeout. Um, if you give multiple warnings, we know that that starts to make the procedure less effective. Um, and I would say the reason for that is your, your child is learning that, well, I don't have to listen the first few times, right? Be, be, because the more warnings you give, the more watered down that warning becomes and the less it needs, really. And why is that, though? I mean, if the timeout ultimately happens, what's the impact of the warnings in between? Yeah, well, it becomes a little bit more, you know, if you think of it, uh, the, the child sort of playing the lottery there a little bit. I'm like, well, um, you, you know, maybe one out of every 10 times when dad says I'm going to get a timeout, I get it, then I'm, I'll keep pushing the limit a little bit, right? Whereas if immediately after the first warning it happens every time, the child's going to learn pretty quickly, all right, I, I better shake up or this is going to happen. Okay, what about the length of the timeout? I guess maybe that, that's going to vary. Maybe that's up to the parent, but I, I think that's one of the points here, that it should be up to the parent, not the child. Yeah, you do want that to be up to the parent, absolutely. Um, the thing you'll hear most commonly is like a minute for every year of life, and that, that's not, not bad. I mean, that's, that's a pretty, um, pretty decent way to go about it. Um, I, I will say one of the mistakes there is that parents will sometimes extend timeouts longer to try to make them work better. Um, and that actually doesn't tend to work very well. We, we often re are recommending that, that folks actually shorten up the amount of time in order to get the procedure to go better. Um, timeout's really about that initial removal from time in, from the more stimulating, inter interesting environment to timeout. Okay, so at, at some point when the timeout ends, there's, mm -hmm. there's going to be a conversation then with the parent and the child. Okay, timeout's over. You know, again, here's, here's why it was. But during that timeout, does the parent need to, to minimize the conversation? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. So, so during the timeout, you really don't want to have any talking. So after, you, you know, so let's say the child hits, I might say something like, hey, no hitting, that's a timeout. And then I'm not going to say anything else until that timeout's over. Um, and then once it's over... Um, that's the time to do a little bit of ex explaining or saying, you know, here's, here's why that happened or here's why that's wrong. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that, that, that part of it makes sense. Now, terms going back to the point about the length, if, yeah. like, for example, if you're going to sit a child in a chair and the child's going to keep getting off the chair, does, mm -hmm. the, you know, I mean, now the parent's involved constantly, no, nope, back on the chair, back on the chair. Yeah. What, what, what about those issues? Yeah, so this is a tricky thing, and I think a, a place where a lot of parents get hung up and, and a lot of the times where the idea that it doesn't work comes from. Um, one of the things we found in our study is that parents who end the time out because their child's being uncooperative in that way, those were the parents who were some of the most likely to say that, oh, it doesn't work. 
Um, there's different ways to try to handle that situation. Um, part of what you suggest there is one way to go is to just to try to continue to put them back. But you want to try and do that without interacting with them too much. So I would do it actually without talking. Um, I personally try to do it without even really making eye contact with, with the child. Just the, the idea is to keep it as boring as you can until you can get that timeout served. Um, and sometimes that will take quite a while because the, the child sort of needs to learn, all right, you know, mom or dad really needs means business here and uh this isn't going to work yeah uh, so particularly with younger children that can be a, a decent way to handle it so and and then in terms of the location uh, where where the timeout yeah. actually occurs th- does that matter yeah i mean it, it matters to the degree uh of how much stimulation is around for the child so um in general we want you know it, it's hard to make it perfect a lot of the time but in general we just want to reduce stimulation as much as possible so certainly don't want to pop them down in front of the tv um, we usually recommend against using a child's bedroom, um, which is something that a lot of folks will do because the issue with a child's bedroom is there's usually some fun stuff in there. There's toys or there's, there's interesting things to look at or, or interact with. And so um, while the child might calm down in there, it's, it's not really going to help their behavior moving forward. Okay. And someone texted as well, said, well, what if, you know, the child's screaming or crying or even banging on the walls during the timeout? Is that yeah. the kind of thing that, that can be ignored? Yeah, absolutely. Those things can be ignored. Um, as long as, you know, there's nothing dangerous or unsafe happening, um, it, the best strategy is really to just ignore it until the child quiets down. So it's the point they'll stop doing that. And um, requiring them to be calm and quiet before you end the timeout will help improve that behavior going forward. So, so the child will learn, oh, if I want this to be over, I need to be calm. And, and so over time, they will start to um, kind of serve the time out more cooperatively. Yeah, really interesting stuff. Dr. Raleigh, we got to leave it there. Thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate this. Great. Thank All you. Right, appreciate it. It's Dr. Andrew Riley, pediatric psychologist, Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, co-author of this uh, paper that appeared earlier this month in the journal Academic Pediatrics. Uh, with the rather academic title, <laughs> a survey of parents' perceptions and utilization of timeout in comparison to empirical evidence. All right, we got to take a break here. We're going to come back. Uh, a few other things to get to. Get some more time for your calls, texts as well. 403-974-TALK. My name is Rob Breckenridge. We're back after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.